1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Connecting to the big show.
0: In three, two, one.
2: I just think it's the entitlement.
0: It's not rocket science. It
3: can be done. I truly believe it can.
4: It's
2: want and destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we
0: just talk? Call 1850-715-996.
2: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
0: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The lines are live. Let's
0: kickstart the conversation.
2: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: On Cork's 96fm.
5: Is it just me? Now I'll ask him a bit later on. But is it just me, or has Jerry Buttermore changed his tune big time on the situation with crime and antisocial behaviour in Cork? Because I was listening back to some previous interviews on the program in the second half of 2019 between myself and Jerry, where he was playing it down and saying we were not in any danger in our city, that we had a safe city to live in. And now he's standing up in the Shannon looking for a debate on Antisocial Behaviour. I wonder, has he changed his tune? Um, talk to him later on. Good morning, 1850 24 hours away from the Quarks 96 AM Giving for Living Radiothon. This time tomorrow, we will be entering Radiothon mode, so that the news and current affairs of the day will be put on the back burner for those two days. But for now, we continue... As normal, and uh, we've been following this story at the airport since very early in the year when we got wind that something was happening with the runway. We knew the runway was to be done up, we weren't sure what the T's and C's of the contract would be, but we had a very, very good source telling us there was a distinct possibility that the airport might close entirely for a period of weeks in the autumn of the year. We subsequently found out that that was indeed true, that the airport would close for about 7 to 10 weeks between September and late November. So what happens now? Well, what happens now is that Aer Lingus is temporarily closing its base at Cork Airport from September until late November. Due to that planned work, 60 ground staff and nearly 100 cabin crew are employed there and the our understanding is that they will all either lose their jobs or be on temporary layoff which is it now Shanahan of Forsa is their rep now good morning to you Uh, good morning uh, PJ Um, how are you doing good good what is is the future for these 160 people well I mean it was it it was
4: a a a tumultuous day to say the least uh, in terms of Uh, Erlingus news yesterday Um, first we learned of the um, temporary layoffs um, that they are planning in Cork where they're laying off uh, Forza represents uh, cabin crew Mm -hmm. and they were informed that they were going to be laid off without pay uh, through September, October and November Mm -hmm. uh, of this year and then about an hour later we learned that the uh, Shannon uh, base uh, the Erlingus Shannon cabin crew base was to be closed And so, at the moment, what we're looking at is, um, you know, severe cutback in staff. Where we're looking at, I think, about 129 people employed in Shannon altogether, uh, facing uh, possible redundancy. And they're looking to reduce, as part of the same process, they're looking to reduce the overall headcount of uh, crew in Cork by 10. Now, currently, there's, I think, up to about 130 cabin crew uh, based in Cork. So we had meetings, uh, a meeting with Aer Lingus Management uh, yesterday afternoon where um, we essentially began an engagement with the company and among the top of our list of priorities is to try and see if we can favour uh, redeployments over redundancy mm-hmm. in order to maximise job protection for cabin crew uh, at the airline because... Uh, what, what we learned yesterday is the knock-on effect of 15 months of very little, a, a reduction in air travel of about yeah. 95% and a huge impact
5: uh, on the aviation industry. So this is more or less a direct fallout from the pandemic.
4: Yeah, yeah I mean, it's hard to conclude otherwise, to be perfectly honest. Um, the, the 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 length of time that the restrictions... Um, have applied and that that we've been living with the effects of the pandemic uh, has meant there's been little or no movement in aviation. And that is why throughout the last 15 months, uh, FORSA has been keen to impress upon uh, the state that there are industry-specific measures that need to be applied in order to protect aviation because uh, quite early on, highlighted the fact that what we needed to ensure was that we still had an aviation industry whenever the pandemic came to an end and we were saying this when we all thought that maybe this thing would last for three months or six months nobody at that point was predicting that we were 15 months later Mm -hmm. uh, still looking at um, restrictions in aviation and then an existential threat to the aviation industry itself
5: what we also had here locally, of course, Nile, as you know, was the confusion very early on in the year over what would happen with the runway and the fact yeah. that the entire airport is to be shut for eight to ten weeks to to redo the runway, which we we know must be done, but yeah. in normal practice would be done by night, so that hasn't helped your uh, your members
4: um it, it hasn't helped and i mean i, I noted that a number of journalists who uh, were in contact with the union yesterday um asking questions about the the breaking news and the developing situation and more more than a few mentioned to me um that you know why was it not possible to address the cork rowway situation uh, last year when when Flights were pretty much shut down, and there would have been an opportunity to do it. That's not a question uh, that I can answer, and um, i you know, it it, it's, it probably wouldn't help to speculate as to as to why it couldn't have been done at a different time. I suppose the reality is there was there was infrastructural spending.
5: Well, there was a cost differential, it, um, and it wasn't huge, but it was there. There was a cost differential between closing the airport entirely, and mm-hmm. given that it's been unfortunately, such a deathly quiet year again, closing the airport entirely or doing what is normally done, and that is doing this by night. There was a cost differential involved, and a DAA, of course, who who operate the airports, decided to take the cost differential, and again, that hasn't helped your members. Mm. No,
4: and I mean, look, I, th- I think d- d- decision-making right across the aviation industry, um, like, it... it it hasn't been, it's, it's not as though people have been faced with uh, easy choices. It's, it, it's been faced with the biggest uh, threat to Irish aviation since the foundation of the state. It's completely without uh, precedent. And I know uh, because we, we represent uh, workers in, in the airports as well and, and throughout the aviation industry, but um, the airport authorities as well were looking at a collapse in their income and considering their options. And I, I suppose it's it's a separate discussion. I mean, our, our focus this morning is on retaining as many jobs as we possibly can mm. uh, for cabin crew. Because, I, I mean, through, throughout this, what we have been saying to both the employers in aviation and to the government is we need to ensure that when the doors open again and and things begin to return to normal, but first of all, there's an aviation industry there, a functional aviation mm. industry, and and part of like what underpins that is that you can begin your flight schedules with employees that you already have, that you retain the yeah. link between employee and employer, because for for example, a role like cabin crew, they. Um, they undergo quite extensive training in order to do the job they do because actually mm. their primary role on any aircraft
5: is a role of... And, uh, and they safety. do it very well, and Lingus, well. They do it exceptionally well and they are also
4: crew. great ambassadors. Well, Aer- they're, very, they're, they're integral to the brand of Erlingus.
5: Lingus. Aer Lingus Cabin Crew are respected uh, the world over. Niall, my, my sister in a in previous life, was was a member of Erlingus Lingus Cabin Crew for a number of years. Many of her friends stayed with the, the airline after she left to do other things. And, you know, we, we know, as as Irish people, we yeah. recognise the world over, our Aer Lingus yeah. cabin crew and and such incredible job that they do. Now, the airline in a statement said that they will emerge smaller from this pandemic and there will be a requirement for redundancies. Now, that strikes fear into those very people and yeah. their families. They must be feeling desperately worried and frightened. They haven't worked yeah for 14 months and now some of them are going to lose their jobs permanently others are being laid off without pay for 10 weeks they must be they must be really really feeling bereft well you've 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 hit the nail on the head there PJ uh, quite frankly because what you've
4: what you've identified is the kind of ripple effect of both the uncertainty and then and then the effect of of job layoffs and then the threat of redundancies it's absolutely devastating news for all of these people who for the last 15 months, have either been um, surviving on reduced incomes uh, or they've undergone temporary layoffs. And 15 months is a very, very long period of time, and particularly for a group of workers who have dedicated their professional lives uh, to this airline. And what happens is both, both the uncertainty and the impact of job losses it's it's it affects the individuals concerned as you rightly hmm. point out. It affects their families too. Mortgages, there's, there's
5: rent, bills, mortgages and rent children's food and, and, and clothes. Yeah, know.
4: I mean, if we look at what was announced in Shannon yesterday, for example, with those um, with those uh, up to one hundred and twenty nine jobs, but also the break of the connection between Erlingus and Shannon Airport, where it has you know where where, where it forms a strong part of its identity and serves the entire Midwest region. Uh, economically, so to to pull out of there has a huge uh, mm-hmm. knock-on effect, and and equally, you know, even even a modest job reduction in Cork, it it has the same kind of ripple effect. And uh, I noted that I think it was in the Examiner uh, this morning, and. Um, The uh, economic specialist Stephen Kinsley, he's quoted by Eamon Quinn on the front page of the Examiner this morning, talking about how the announcements uh, on Shannon and Cork uh, set back the case for or or the cause of regional development in Ireland Mm. um, by a number of years. And what we have seen in in the years since the last economic crisis, we've seen a disproportionate economic development centred around Dublin and not enough regional development. Yeah. And well, it, well, I suppose if, if, that, if that, lose, that, that's an
5: argument on regional development, Nile, which is important in itself, but but my, but my focus is kind of on the people and their families and their children and all of those who will be affected by this. Like, what can you as a union do for them?
4: Well, as I say, our number one priority is to try and mitigate against the job losses by looking at the redeployment options to see how many and as many as possible of those crew can be redeployed uh, to another base in order to make sure that they continue working. But in addition to that, I mean, aside from our engagement with the employer, we're seeking a much deeper engagement with the government. As I say, we've we've been lobbying hard uh, over the last year, for the government to get more involved in order to make sure there was an aviation industry still in place Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the pandemic. So we've been on to the Department of Transport a number of times and we we spoke directly to a senior official in the department at a a conference of our uh, Service and Enterprise Division last week. That's the section of the union um, within which aviation uh, lives and is represented. And so what we said to the department was that You know, the state needs to provide the necessary income supports to protect the jobs uh, of these highly skilled workers, to provide clear and precise guidance on when and how international travel would be allowed to resume, yeah. that we send a clear message that Ireland is open to key markets. But you see, hold we'll on, that's not, something, that, that's
5: not something that can give, Niall, no, be realistic. They can't realistically give you a date at which international travel will definitely resume. It's maybe not, not an
4: exact date, but certainly a plan or a roadmap. I mean, over the last two weeks, we've, you know, we've been hearing announcements about different sections of the economy opening up and it's been, it's been a sensible <clears throat> and phased reopening and it's a step-by-step process and everybody respects that and understands that that's how it needs to be done. But where there was announcements for every aspect uh, of the the economy opening up, there was really nothing about aviation, which is why that we've pressed for these specific measures, because what we can't afford to have is a situation where, look, aviation, PJ, is probably going to be the last industry to, so to speak, come out of the woods Uh, on the pandemic, it'll probably be the last to begin that phasing into whatever normal uh, looks like. But in the meantime, it has to be protected, because when we get to the end of that road, we need to make sure it's the aviation industry. There needs to be an industry
5: to go back to, and I guess that's months away, at least. Uh, Niall, listen, thanks for your time this morning. That's Niall Shanahan. Uh, from FORSA, the trade union representing uh, Erlingus Cabin Crew. Thank you, Niall. The bad news for the families. Imagine, you know, they've been off, not working. I assume they were getting a PUP from the start of this. Now the, the people in Cork realise that they're being laid off, laid off without pay for 10 weeks in the autumn. The poor misfortune people in Shannon, their jobs are gone because the base is closing. So, like, will they get a PUP while they're being laid off in Cork? What's going to happen there? What happens when they, they, they want to go back to work? Was this, was it, was it a crazy decision for the airport to go ahead by shutting down, with shutting down by day for 10 weeks? Just in Ingus' statement yesterday, they said they'd lost 103 million euro in the first three months of 2021 on top of a loss of 361 in 2020. So since the start of the pandemic, they've lost 464 million euro. So they need immediate actions and structural changes confirming that the airline will emerge smaller and there will be a requirement for redundancies and the level of layoff and this is the last piece in their statement, may be subject to further extension or change based upon work requirements. In other words, they could be loads of them back early or there might be more of them not come back at all sad news for cork airport sad news for Aer Lingus, and particularly sad news for Aer Lingus cabin crew who as i said and i repeat they are known around the world they are probably the greatest brand ambassadors for ireland in the world so they need to be protected through this
2: 185715996 can we just talk the Opinion line on Cork's 96 FM
0: with Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Cork's 96 FM's Select Irish. JC Stewart. Hey, I'm JC Stewart. Heart, it, Leah Hart. Hey, I'm Leah Hart.
6: Can you play?
0: Please- being a select Irish artist for the month really helped my song older reach multiple new listeners.
4: Isaac Butler. Hey I'm Isaac Butler.
2: Yeah. And I wish I could change the past Sophie Doyle
0: Ryder. Hi, I'm Sophie Doyle Ryder.
4: They're all Select Irish artists. Select
0: Irish Corks 96 fm was a great platform for me to showcase my music on Irish radio. And you could be next. If you think you've got what it takes to be our featured artist, check out 96FM.ie forward slash Select Irish.
2: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
0: Text or WhatsApp now 083-396-9696 On
5: courts 96FM Dennis was on to say I tried to warn about this the other day but all PJ could say was the airlines will be back Well Dennis they will be back They will be grievously affected by this unfortunately and the people will but they will be back Aer Lingus will move more and more to Manchester for cost savings and Ryanair to Belfast Mark my words. Not entirely sure how you make that out. They'll go to Manchester. I could see Ryanair doing the Belfast thing all right. But then again, Belfast Airport isn't big enough for Ryanair's operation. You could see them moving everything to Dublin. Uh, Although, yes, they are. The long haul from Manchester um, is launching later this year with Aer Lingus. That's, that's true. So if you want to go long haul with Aer Lingus, you'll fly to Manchester first. Got that, got that, got that. But then, thank you for that. Dennis is telling me he told me so. And look, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'm gutted for these people. Absolutely gutted for them. Kate says, I know a family of four affected by the Shannon announcement. People are sick to death of seeing other countries make travel plans, but nothing is happening here. The last we had yesterday was, I think was the day before, was Leo Bradker saying that it'll be August at least before they can open up the skies, as it were, and let people fly again, you have to be safe what do you want to do, open them up and then close them down again there's the problem 1850 and it's a difficult problem and a very a very de- devastating problem when it affects individual families now, last week I mentioned to you that a Cork GP had joined a TikTok platform called Team Halo, and if you go to TikTok you look up Team Halo you will find that it's doctors and scientists from all over the place pushing back against some of the nonsense on social media, some of the nonsense about vaccines, some of the nonsense about COVID, some of the nonsense about, you know, it's only this and it's only that and it's only the other, it's only the flu, for example, being one of the great myths. And Team Halo uh, was formed by a group of people to push back against that nonsense with real science and real medicine. And Dr. Monica Perez-Oike, who is Cork-based, has joined Team Halo And I've been catching up with her about it. Monica, great to see a Cork doctor involved with uh, Team Halo. was Fergal brought it to my attention a few weeks ago and the information on there is just fantastic. How did you get involved?
7: Hi, good morning, TJ. Thanks for having me on. So how did I get involved? I suppose um, I was already on TikTok anyway uh, with uh, just with my health educational videos and things like that and talking about the vaccines and stuff. And then I came across team Halo and through my feed and just I was just wondering what that was about and then um, I think somebody in the department of health has actually also brought my attention to it because we're trying to create something similar in Ireland just so we can have like a collective group of people with the science behind it for the information about vaccines and COVID so I reached out to them
5: Because there's a lot of concerns out there about the information we're receiving and, and there's so much information that you have to be really careful where you get your facts from. What's the most common concern you've been hearing since you joined up?
7: So one of the main things is about the vaccines, how they're not effective, how um, they cause death. And also in cases of like the fertility issues and pregnant women, Uh, it's just, there's a lot of negative like press or or not press, right, I suppose online stuff about the COVID vaccines mainly. So yes, those are the things. And whenever I put things up, you will have one or two people that will be on the attack that trying to prove why you, why do you think this is happening and things like that. So yes, there's a lot of that there. So we need things like Team Halo where you could have a group of doctors, nurses, scientists that have the science behind it and coming out with the facts and <coughs> putting on the information out there.
5: How do you pick which questions to, to do a video about, say?
7: I usually get my ideas because I'm also a practicing GP and I'm also a vaccinator. So I do the um, Cork um, vaccine clinics every um, every other weekend. So I get my questions from there, like things like patients were asked me, uh, so when I was in a vaccine clinic or patient me, so what do you actually do to the needles or things like that? And then I was like... It's something that's common sense, but, you know, there was something that somebody online was saying, oh, they leave the needle in your arm and things like that. So I get my ideas from there. I get my ideas from my patients in work as well when they ask me about things like especially about the concerns about pregnant women and the vaccines and also from comments on my feed. I get my ideas from there, too.
5: Mm. TikTok is great for challenging uh, the stuff because Online, Monica, is where so much of this rubbish is circulating. So it's great to have a platform that's as big and popular as TikTok doing the exact opposite.
7: Yes, it's actually, it's, it's, it's fantastic.
5: And thankfully, TikTok is on board as well. So that that's great. Because you can go on social media and you can find anything that you want. So like if you think that a vaccine will turn your hair green, you can go on social media and find someone who'll tell you absolutely that's going to happen so it's so exactly. important. it's so important to have a platform like this
7: yes it is indeed yeah that's so true yeah oh my goodness exactly what you said i'm actually whenever i put up videos i get links of like anti-vaccines and they claim to be like doctors or things like that saying this person talked about this and literally when you go through it that person is so convincing that you're just like, how many people actually believe in this thing, this crash going on, you know? So it is important that there's a lot of people that are also trying to put out positive and clear information out.
5: You must be very busy as a practicing GP and a vaccinator, so you're you're finding time to do this. It's great credit to you.
7: Thank you so much. I'm actually very passionate about this because I feel like Because everyone has been affected by the COVID uh, pandemic. So I think especially with vaccination, I know it's not the end of COVID, but at least it's a step forward that we can all get our lives back. Like the mental health impact is huge. So I think by putting our great information out there, encouraging people to get vaccinated, we can at least have a good summer and then have some part of our lives back. So that's why I, so I do this on my day off and uh, I enjoy it. So, yes, that's why I'm doing this.
5: Like people are so worried at the moment about, for example, the Indian variant of COVID. And we're being told we need to vaccinate faster. We don't have a whole lot to worry about if we can vaccinate really faster. Like, Monica, in your own opinion, what is the difference between, say, a world where we are all, as many of us as can be vaccinated and a world where we're not? Like, what's the difference between one and the other?
7: I suppose the difference would be the the amount of people dying, and that is the big thing. and that was the one thing the vaccines are licensed for that they will prevent deaths from COVID, and also severe illness. Let's take an example. I know there's a lot of comparison for like COVID and the flu virus, but then many years ago people were dying from the flu left right center, and then we have vaccines. People are still getting the flu virus. People are still contagious, but they're not as sick. So. I think at least when more people are vaccinated, yes, you could get COVID, but you wouldn't die from COVID. There won't be that huge impact on our health uh, health services. People can go on and get their hips done and other things, and the hospital won't be overtaken by people in ICU dying from COVID. So I think that's the big difference. Mm.
5: There's a question, maybe, maybe maybe while you're there, you can answer, because it comes up now, and I've read a few articles about it over the weekend, like this idea that, yes, I've had my vaccine, so hang on a second now, doesn't that mean I won't get COVID? That's not necessarily true, isn't it? It means that you won't get sick.
7: Yes, it means that you won't get sick from COVID and you wouldn't die from COVID. Let's not forget that these vaccines are only out in the last year, so we don't know for certain if you actually prevent transmission. There is some evidence that some of the vaccines might, but no one is jumping into that conclusion. We're being very cautious about this. So we do know that you won't die from COVID. So that's the most important thing that we're trying to tackle now. And then we then know, okay, is it actually going to prevent you from getting COVID eventually?
5: Yeah. And there's research now to show that even if you do get infected, the chances of you giving it to somebody else are at least very much reduced.
7: Exactly, and that's why um, the Department of Health, or and then NHS, they have the guidelines that two unvaccinated, uh, two vaccinated people can meet up indoors with no mask and things like that. And then I think the new rule now is, and um, one fully vaccinated person can meet other vaccinated people, or uh, unvaccinated people indoors. It's just, I suppose, it's what, what they call the, the benefits of the vaccination. So there is that proof, uh, but we still need a lot of research to be done. So. I think the more people that are vaccinated the more we're going to know about the effects of this vaccine as well
5: it surely is a case isn't it monica of very slowly and carefully does it let's not rush this
7: exactly yeah
5: i suppose over the weekend the big story hse wise has been this this hack
7: oh my gosh oh gosh yes like that
5: that can't be making life any easier
7: Oh my goodness, on Friday in work and uh, got in and then found out about it because well, I heard it on the radio like, and I didn't think it was going to have any impact on uh, GPs and things like that. And then we got in and we got the memo with that, okay, the only things that we can do. We couldn't even refer for... Um, covid test anymore so now it's like you had to ring your doctor and then we tell you where to go and things like that and what our practice did was started sending text messages of okay this is where you go and things like that yeah i don't know why that happened i don't know who's behind it but it's the last thing we need
5: mm. and hopefully they'll fix it quickly
7: that's the hope yeah
5: monica tell me a little bit about yourself i would say that perez oike okay, is not a cork name so so tell me little, <laughs> tell me a little bit about yourself
7: So, yeah, so I suppose, um, well, I'm originally from Nigeria. I was born there, but I moved to Dublin, um, I think at the age of 15, thereabouts, when my mom passed away. So I grew up in Dublin and then I went to college and Trinity College and then I just decided after spending years and Dublin I was like okay I need to get out and so <laughs> I did do I'd never been to Cork then but then I saw I was like, okay Cork would be a nice place to go to and I applied to Cork in Donegal and then I got a place in Cork for my internship and I've been around this part of Ireland since then.
5: Well it's great to have you and great to have you on the opinion line.
7: Thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for your show it's so informative and it's so necessary so thank you.
5: Thank you. Cheers, Monica.
7: All right, so bye-bye.
5: Dr. Monica Permezoike, kind words at the end about the opinion line. She's a member of Team Halo. You'll find it on TikTok. It's a pushback against the nonsense.
2: Can we just talk?
5: The opinion line
2: on Corks ninety six FM
0: with dairy made premium spread, one hundred percent natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Second.
2: The Cork's 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon. Raising
0: money for Cork Cancer Services.
2: Listen Thursday from 6 a.m.
0: on Cork's 96 FM. Senator
5: Jerry Bottomer has warned that Cork City is becoming a no go area for many people, and he's calling for a debate on anti-social behaviour. I'll discuss that in a second, Jerry. but if you don't mind, can I get your reaction, firstly, to the terrible news from Cork Airport yesterday? Good morning.
8: Good morning, PJ. Um, the airport uh, news from my Lingus is very distressing and worrying, as you know, and reduces the workers in Cork Airport and those working for the airlines and those working for the baggage handling companies and other ancillary companies have taken huge sacrifices and cuts of pain and have, in some cases have lost their jobs. And the Aer Lingus news yesterday, from a Cork perspective, is worrying. It's different to Shannon, as you know, and that Shannon have been told that the jobs are gone and Cork is tempor- temporary. But I think it's important, PJ, here, that Aer Lingus do not allow... Uh, Covid nineteen to become an opportunity to change its policies around employing people completely, uh, and that we do not allow as a government everything to, um, to 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 ransack mm. the, the livelihoods of
5: people. How would, would you prevent that as a government?
8: Well, I think there's a combination of things we can do. One is the the, the, Taoiseach, sorry, the Taoiseach and the Tarnastad, and Tarnastad, the area of met last night with the uh, Clare and Limerick uh, members of Fine Gael. I have already spoken to to members uh, of government in the area of transport. And I'm on the transport committee who are meeting today at, at half past two uh, with Willie Walsh and I'll be raising the matter uh, in terms of us. But we shouldn't, you know, we 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 have invested... Uh, money in, in the airlines, in terms of supports to airlines, and we shouldn't allow airlines, in this case, to be able to, you know, take people's jobs and livelihoods, uh, and and just dispense them as a commodity. Yeah. Um, secondly, in the context of of, of Cork Airport, um, we have invested significantly in Cork Airport as a government, uh, and Cork Airport, as you know quite well, is the second busiest airport in the country. Yeah. Um. And and we, which is why sure. it's
5: bizarre that they were allowed, Jerry, to shut down. In the autumn time, rather than well, doing well, what everybody else does in the world when they're doing their runways up, they do it by night.
8: Well, they don't actually, PJ. Um, they actually don't. If you did your investigation, that they don't actually. There's a, there's a, there's a different approach taken by many different airline airports, you, and I, I, I can send. I haven't got it to hand, but I can tell you a number of airports have done differently. Well, Dublin Airport airports. closed for this. Well, Dublin Airport was a different with a different issue completely. The bottom line here, PJ, is no matter what happens with Cork Airport in terms of the the runway reconstruction, there's going to be an element of discommoding of, of discomforting people because, as you know, you've got walk If you get walked on in your house, you oh, know, yeah. you're not going to have the kitchen. If the kitchen's been done, you're not going to have the kitchen, you know, operational. So the point I'm making is that no matter what clock I put, dude, there's going to be. find a workaround. you find a
5: workaround, find a workaround which is what I, they could I, have done here. Anyway, look, sorry. that's probably a, a, a different. Can you be bit closer to the phone for me, Jerry, if you could? I want to come back sorry, to the David. issue of crime um, and what you said in the Shannon yesterday where you called for a debate on antisocial behaviour and this follows around. In, earlier this month in the city centre, etc. Um, you, you've changed your tune a small bit, Jerry, on crime in the city.
8: No, I've always been consistent about the city and about crime, PJ. I'm a member of the City Policing Committee and have been since its conception, um, and I'm a very strong supporter of, of, of Vangarda Shukana and, and, and of our city. But what we've seen in, in recent times has been a deterioration in... Uh, in In behavior around our city, and at the weekend p j given the reopening of the city, a number of people have been on to me uh, people that have not been in the city since since Christmas they were concerned that was are on. traders uh, and people who use the city have been on to me um, and, and what 's prompted me is that we we have we have just launched a new youth uh, national strategy um, by Minister McEntee last month mm-hmm. secondly we we have need now as we reimagine and, and change our city with the the introduction of pathless pedestrianisation uh, that we all have a shared responsibility to make our city, to, to, to share our city, that we all have a responsibility to ensure it's a safe, it's a friendly sure. place and we, Sure, and we'll but Gerry, to... when,
5: when we did a series of programmes in September of 2019 and we opened our lines to people to tell us their experience of antisocial behaviour we kept us going for for many days, and and you accused us of populism.
8: There, there was an element of populism at the time, yeah. There was. Why, yeah, it Jerry? Why would that? you say that? Because that was the fact. I mean, as I said, Peter, since since, since I, I suppose last year, the the whole issue of antisocial behaviour in the city has become more pronounced. There there has been an element of of of, of the shared public space being taken over, and and now that we're now that we are.
5: So you're saying reimagining... it surged during the pandemic.
8: In part, it has. In part, it has as a consequence of that. In part, it has become more pronounced. Uh, there's a there's a wide range of issues that need to be tackled.
5: Uh, I I fully. Uh, but in 2019, the... we, and were and warning, starts, we were warning. We were warning of a powder keg in 2019, and then into and 2020, and arrive the pandemic. That powder. That powder keg, starts to blow up on you.
8: And as part of the City Council Joint Policing Committee and as a member of the Iraq, so I have been argumenting and advocating a variety of interventions around the night-time economy, around the city centre strategy, around more policing, around the need for Gardy to, to work with bus air and the transport providers mm. to be able to intervene at different stages. And some of the elements that were, that were, that were purport, reported uh, weren't actually correct, as you know. But what, what we I have don't now, know that, but either. Well, what we have now is the need to tackle in, in, in a post-COVID city uh, that we can all share public space that, that not just young people but all of us can use our city in a manner that, that invites and encourages people to recreate to socialise, to shop and to come into our city and mm-hmm. there's a concern The of, problem I, is they I, don't I, feel I,
5: safe doing it
8: Well that's my point PJ and that's the point I'm making that it's deteriorated Now t- to be fair to Angarda Sheikana they have a city centre strategy you cannot expect PJ, Angarda uh, to to patrol every part of the city and to be in every street corner. Uh, we have Invested in CCTVs. We have invested in more community guardy. We have invested in in a whole new youth justice strategy. We have yeah. invested in, in community. So and, there are and council bylaws,
5: said, bylaws. We we had a lot of problem with with young gatherings of young people w- with drink takeaway points and otherwise off licence drink. We don't need a whole pile of new law to sort that out. The guards are empowered under the local bylaws to take the drink off of them. Yeah, and break and up the of- crowds.
8: Yeah, I mean obviously the central strategy that that well but that that actually does not allow people to drink alcohol on, on, on the public
5: street. And yet but they've I
8: been suppose, doing it with impunity for the last six
5: months. But, but
8: I suppose PJ you would come on your program and say that if the guys came in for to, to a particular and I won't name a pub, but if they came into a particular establishment in, in Cork City that our command lines are trying to make a few bob. would take away. No, parks, I that would, that would never do that. Answer. If
5: the law was being broken, the law is being broken. And in the middle of the street, where we have laws to stop people hanging around street corners drinking, it's not being
8: invoked. It, in in defence of Gardaí Chikorna and City Council, they have taken action on public drinking in the Minas-y areas, they have done so in the middle of Cork City and they have, have fined people and they have put up notifications and informed people and moved people on. But mm. it isn't just about that. I mean, Garbi have the powers to enforce the bylaws and Garbi have been enforcing the bylaws because I've been in contact on a regular basis with members mm-hmm. of the gallery. Although so to be I'm fair, now
5: I, I would give you that because Superintendent and Chief Super McPolin, did say that we've got irresponsible parents now dropping their children into the city centre to go drinking. Like that's that's not. You know, that, if the guards have enough to do without that going on, so what would you say to those but, parents?
8: But, but Peter, that is a fundamental issue that you know we all of us want to enjoy our city, and whether it's our public parks or our walkways. There is a need for us to, each of us, collectively and individually, to respect other, whether it's park users, residents. Like, I mean, you take the behaviour of some of the students around College Road, for example, and your programme has dealt with it extensively. You take the, the anti-social behaviour in parts outside of the city centre uh, where where you have people drinking uh, in, in, in different parts. Like, we, that's part of why we must change our attitude and our culture to alcohol consumption as well. And that's why we need to have a, a, you know, a, a debate about the use of alcohol. Uh, and how we misuse alcohol and how we, we, we feel that we can act with impunity.
5: Unfortunately, the people who are misusing it in the streets at the weekend, Jerry, debates will go right over their head.
8: In some cases, you are correct, yes, but in other cases, no. And, and, and it's, it's, about, it's about imparting and, and empowering and preventing. Um, anti-social behaviour and it's about it's not all just about you know you know socio-economic disadvantage it, that's not an accurate description because it's, it's much more than that i mean the relationship between between us as a country as a society and alcohol is, is one that we need to have a conversation about and you know i chair the health committee that that started the process on the public health alcohol bridge which we've seen the, the increase in the minimum unit pricing but research but be it from the esri from the department of children from from the variety of ngos around alcohol shows that young people need to be educated on on the issue of alcohol but equally the, the whole issue around challenging behavior that we saw and, and pj like this is not happening just in the city center i mean i have anecdotal evidence of people who've been walking up to mardike Who've been walking in different parts of the city, where you have young people, you know, and it's not fair. Young people have made huge sacrifices of COVID, 19 didn't call, get Caller
5: on the phone, Jerry says, all I hear about is investing in this and investing in that for teenagers. I'm afraid at night around the city, I'm walking to shed my COVID stone, and I'm afraid, and that's wrong.
8: It is wrong, and, that's, that's, that, and that has deteriorated, PJ. And that's why it is important that we 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 we, 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 ha- we have a conversation as a society around what influences the behavior of people how we can communicate between families, uh, and, I, and I don't believe you can put everything on schools, because schools are already full to the brim of activity, but there are, and Barry McPoolen is, in my opinion, correct, there are, there are a, a, a number of families, quite substantial, who have opted out, who who are franchising their children out onto the streets uh, to engage in, in behaviour uh, that you and I would not tolerate and, and would not allow our, our own children to behave that way. Okay.
5: Jerry, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. Jerry Buttimer, Senator Jerry Buttimer on the opinion line. across 96, ma'am, 1850, 715, uh, 996. Kevin is making a point about no go areas. she's Are actually trying to find that. Kev, he's saying you wouldn't know a no go area if it stood up and bit you in the eye. Probably not, Kev. I'll read it when I, c- I can't get it o- open at the moment, but I will in just a sec. Uh, James, I'll go to James. James. Well, I do that, yeah. Actually, I get get Kevin's comment up because I think it's it's valid. Do you have a clue what a no-go area looks like? Listening to this, you haven't a notion what a real no-go area is. I'm listening to stories about annoying kids. That isn't a no-go area, says Kevin. Which is a valid point, Kev, but at least having accused us of populism in September of 2019 when we highlighted crime after crime, mugging after mugging, robbery after robbery in Cork City... Now, at least, Jerry Butterwell wants to discuss the situation. James wanted to make a quick point about Carrigaline. Hi, James. Hi, Peter. How are things? Good, good. Um, It's not just Carrigaline where there's a lot of, or not just the city, you're saying, where there's a lot of antisocial behaviour.
9: No, um, my mother's shop, uh, she has a flower shop in Carrigaline called Boca's by Victoria, and her shop was actually vandalised by youth at the weekend we have um, a big shop front, a big glass shop front, and um, we, had, we had trouble with some youth out the front of our shop during the day on Saturday. Yeah. And the Gardie were called and they they kind of moved them on. And um, they came back then at night time and they tried to break in and they completely smashed in the whole shop front. Breaky. And, um the viciousness, PJ, of them trying to get in is absolutely ridiculous. Like, um We have tempered security glass, which is, it's, um, there's a layer of plastic on it, you know, so it's very hard to actually get in with through the glass. But they've actually made up to about 20 hits with a big massive rock, and it was only the fact that they lost the rock through the window. That um, it stopped them from getting in. They moved on after that. They
5: were determined to put the window in.
9: They were very determined to get in, PJ. Very determined. And Lord only knows, like we have thousands invested into this shop, and we're only open a, a few days since since the lockdown lifted. You know. Yeah. And And um, if, if they had got in, our, our livelihood is completely at stake. Like, and
5: you were listening to Jerry Bottomer. You agree? We need a conversation. Or oh,
9: it's out of control, T J It's absolutely out of control in the area, not just the city, like all sort of surrounding areas. Like I was actually speaking to my delivery man this morning, and he was saying he knows and uh, he's friendly with um, a superintendent in the city, a guard, a superintendent. He didn't spec- specify which district, but he was he was telling the, the superintendent was telling him. That youths are actually getting the bus from Carrigaline into the city, and it's actually youths from Carrigaline that are causing a lot of the trouble in the city. Yeah. So it, it just it, something needs to be done before it gets out of control. Because I, I think if this goes on, you leave this another four or five years, and you could be looking at a situation like Trahada or something. that's totally uh, And briefly, to control, briefly,
5: uh, has it gotten worse during the <laughs> pandemic?
9: Yeah, um, since the lockdown, like, we're down a very narrow laneway and there's, there's businesses, the whole length of the laneway, there's eight or nine businesses down the laneway and they're all female-operated. There's hairdressers, barbers, restaurants. Sure. We're a flower shop. But there, there's been a lack of commercial traffic since the lockdown. So, like, these these kids have taken over the area and more or less claimed it as their own.
10: Right.
9: And they're, they're not happy, now you know, that we're kind of back to... to, 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 to Operated her primitive. Yeah,
5: yeah. so it's kinda, it's going to become me. it's, come, it's come, become a bit territorial. I'll leave it there, James, for no reason other than time. Thank you very much for your call. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just
0: talk? Call 1850
2: 715 996. Text
0: or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96 fmie
2: the opinion mind with PJ
5: Coogan
0: on Corks 96 FM so I wonder what you think
5: of first of all James has called before 10 and I know that place and mags has just shared a photo from the carried down newspapers Twitter of the damage done to the window and as James said the determination that they had to smash what is a reinforced window just shows the level of of anger and the level of just determination to do harm that was in those youngsters minds when they went in to do that and that's where we're going with antisocial behavior and what do you think of what jerry Buttimer has been saying he says we need to have a national conversation he's called for one in the Shannon uh caller says senator butter Baltimore lost his seat was appointed not elected to the Shannon. well that's not true the man is entitled to his opinion but it doesn't surprise me that he was out of touch a year ago. Well, he did lose his, his Doyle seat. That's correct. No, hold on. Well, he wasn't in the Doyle uh, last time out. He was always a senator. He ran for the Doyle. He wasn't elected in th- to the Doyle, but he was elected to the Shannon In fact, I think he may even have topped the poll in the industrial panel, or the Labour panel. So he was elected, genuinely elected to the Shannon So to say he was appointed is incorrect, and let's keep the facts here. He was elected to the Shannon and it's a by the by, but there's a, a great book that Katie Hannon wrote years ago called The Naked Politician. And the one thing I took from it, I took many things from it, one thing I took, getting elected to the Shannon is actually a lot lot harder than getting yourself elected to the Dáil in terms of canvassing and where you have to go and who you have to see and what hands you have to shake. But anyway... That's a by the by. Jerry Butimer was indeed elected to the Shannon, not appointed. Caller says it's not just the city centre, it's Douglas, it's Carrigaline, it's all over. I don't think Senator Bottomer deserves any credit for recognising this. Your programme highlighted what was going on long ago and warned it would get worse. A politician who now realises that you were right should be in a state of seeking up immediately to rectify the situation as a matter of urgency before it goes up a level. To have that fellow Butomer talking and waffling without any concrete steps is galling. Well done, PJ N 96 fm But well, I was just reminding him of when we opened the lines here. I was telling Terry this morning, because Terry is obviously new to the building. I was saying in 2019, we, we decided to open up the lines here for maybe a week and a bit. It followed one or two serious incidents and people were brave enough to, to speak their truth and tell their story. And we opened up the lines and the stuff that came in on text, on WhatsApp... On telephone call, people were willing to go on the air. The stuff that came in was just frightening. It would curl your hair. Uh, the the stuff that people had suffered, like it's things like coming out of Duns with your shopping on an afternoon, middle of the afternoon, and your mug for your handbag, stuff like that. Uh, there was a flood of it came through to us in September of 2018 and there are those who would say it's just continued to get worse now then again you have another twitter which says it's far from a no-go area i went for a walk in town last night lovely evening it was bustling trouble-free weekends we just need some more guards on the ground we need more guards on the ground at most times anyway same as the rest of europe's major cities always there's a police presence there well Yes, that we do need more guards. And Mags again makes the point on Twitter, and I would reiterate it. The guards we have are just overworked. Just ridiculously overworked and demand, We don't have enough of them. We don't have enough of them. IPJ tried to call the fire service this morning around half five. Someone set light to something in the playground in Glenmire. I wonder how that went. 185715996. Your thoughts on what Jerry Butomer has been saying that we do need a conversation and we need to do something about the mounting antisocial behaviour and his argument, which, to be fair, I'd have to go with him on it, that it's gotten worse during the pandemic. It was bad enough before, we'll argue on that, me and him, but it's gotten worse during the pandemic. And it's not so much loads of big stuff, it's loads and loads and loads of small stuff. 1850 715 Now this is a very special week for the LGBTI plus community in Cork. It's their Awareness Week. And uh, Siobhan O'Dowd is the chair of their group, uh, the Council and Community Organisations. Siobhan, good morning to you. Good morning,
6: PJ. How are you?
5: Good. It's a very significant week. Why?
6: It is. Um, I suppose it's um, it's unique um, in on the island. Um, I think it's probably the only place where The city council its public agencies community organizations and lgbt ngos come together um and i but i think mainly the first bunch in that group to say that it's the job of the city of our services and our communities to challenge homophobia transphobia biphobia Um, you know it's not just or only the job of lgbt organizations and individuals um so we've we it's been running now for i think this is the oh it's the eleventh or twelfth year um and um last year uh, Cork City joined the rainbow cities network, which mm-hmm. is a network of thirty four cities mainly in europe but but stretching a bit further than that as well mm-hmm. um and we're also uh, we have signed a rainbow memorandum with San Francisco. So this year we had a lot of, you know, almost in in the midst of our c- cocooning, we were yeah. reaching out, maybe a wee bit further than than we've normally been able to do. So, yeah. like you know,
5: all events, you're 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 virtual at the moment, but yes. you've got a number of things taking place. Yeah,
6: that. yeah. So um, just this evening, for instance. Um, um and adina which is a community organization in in Yale, uh, will be they've had a series called Queer Chronicles, a series of online screenings and this evening will be a documentary called Altitude um which details uh, lesbian activism over the generations, um, directed by Sonia Mulligan and produced by Jerome. Um so that's that's available for people to go online and, and watch. Um, yeah. I suppose we've had we've had some very small in-person events which are in keeping with, with public health guidelines. Sure. Um, so a series of flag raisings at kind of key buildings and spaces around the city so... You've, you've got a group,
5: you've got a number of discussions on Thursday and Friday about intersectionality. Now what's that Siobhan? <laughs>
6: It's a it's a long word for I think um a fairly simple concept that we we need to work together and we need to recognise um each other's identities and diversities um and recognising the diversity of us all doesn't maybe take from anyone else's specialness or uniqueness. Um I think it was Audrey Lord who once said there's no such thing as a, a single issue campaign because we don't live single issue lives. Mm -hmm. Um, so you'll remember a long time ago PJ when maybe the first Awareness Weeks were being held it was LGB Week and then it was LGBT Week I do, yeah Yeah, uh, LGBTI or LGBTI Plus or LGBTIQ Um, so Intersex, we're we're participating this year in a Rainbow Cities Network exhibition each city of 21 cities uh, submitted a photograph um, that described for them intersectionality, how mm. how those diversities can combine and work together. Yeah. And our submission is is one that I think you'll you'll um, you'll have an appreciation for. It's oh, yeah. um, a photograph of the late Dave Roach, the great Dave um, Roach. What, yes, a, legend great, what a legend that one! What a legend
11: that
6: one! Absolutely. So it's a photo of Dave uh, together with. Um, the co director of the Travel Visibility Group, Brida O'Donoghue. Oh I
5: know Breda, yeah. yeah.
6: And they're holding um they're holding a rainbow flag and you can see the the, the pull up for T V G behind them. Um and it was um, a special screening that we heard we held, sorry, during LGBT Awareness Week uh, in twenty seventeen and it was to mark the state's recognition of Um, Mm -hmm. traveller-ethnicity. But, you know, for two quite beleaguered communities in some ways, the traveller and LGBT community have always worked together really, really well. Mm
12: -hmm.
6: Um, And so for for us it was um, you know, it was a a recognition of the kinds of intersectionality that go on every day. If people Um, want to
5: find out more about your events and your week, where can they go, Siobhan?
6: They can go to our Facebook page, which is um, Cork City LGBT Interagency Group, or they can look us up on Twitter, as you mentioned it a minute ago, at Cork LGBT Week, um, and follow the the different trails and threads um, on either the Facebook or the on the Twitter. And if they're listening to you or their local media or buying their local papers, they'll also see pieces. Okay. all About right the, the different
5: events Alright, may you have a successful week And know these are difficult times for having uh, events, but last year thanks Siobhan, Siobhan no doubt when everything was being just blanket cancelled last year now things are being adapted a bit like our Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. We had to cancel it last year. This year, we've adapted it for pandemic times. So that's on all this week. And the name of Dave Roach came up there. And I have to say, I think of him whenever an event like this is happening in Cork. Dave Roach was campaigner supreme. And he passed away very suddenly a number of years ago. He was a campaigner supreme. And I'm, I'm proud to say he was a friend Uh, he was just a living legend in his own time that was Dave Roach and great to see him remembered uh, at this event uh, year after year 1850 715
0: 996
5: Can we just talk The Opinion Line on
0: Cork's 96FM With Dairy made Premium Spread 100% Natural and Made in Cork using West Cork Cream Can we just talk the opinion
2: line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850
0: 715 996 on
5: Courts 96 FM. Now, the ongoing fallout from the HSE cyber hack that continues. This morning, for example, the Financial Times has uh, horrific detail about screenshots and files following cyber attacks by hackers, medical and personal information being shared online. I'm also reading from an article sent to me that said one of the people, for example, whose files have been shared is a man who was admitted to hospital for palliative care. It's down to that detail. Now, I'm not certain that he's named. Hopefully he wasn't. But the FT is reporting that individual people's medical files are now up there, including a man admitted for palliative care. And they've checked out that it was who they say it was because there's a death notice, which, uh, listen, it's just getting ridiculous. And then we had uh, news that Nova Broadband, which is a Cork-based provider, has also been hit by a cyber attack. Now, I think they've got it under control at this stage, and and they're able to get their service back up and running. It was what they call a DDoS, a distributed denial of service attack, which basically means that you just can't get in. Users just can't get in, and, and it's all clogged up. Now we think that's been that's been sorted, but of course the information being passed up the line to the guards and the national C- cyber security centres. The fear was expressed in the last couple of days that because we've so much focus now on what's happened in the HSE and the Department of Health, that we are vulnerable where we are. It's a different attack by a different group, of course, this one on Nova Broadband, but we are perhaps vulnerable and the criminal fraternity that does this kind of thing knows that at this point we are vulnerable. Adrian Weckler is tech editor with the Irish Independent. Adrian, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Let's address that point. We are at the moment very vulnerable to these nefarious types because they watch us.
3: Yeah, we are. Um, there's no question about it. If you talk to um, people, the IT security professionals around the country, they will tell you that, um, you know, Ireland ranks well down the European table in terms of how prepared we are and how much we have put into our potential cyber defences. Um, And the HSE in one sense is an example of this because it's a bit of a hodgepodge of IT systems that have been put together over 20 and 30 years. Um, The fear has to be that, um, you know, because Ireland doesn't really prioritize cyber defense because you would really don't spend much on it. It's kind of considered to be a bit of an afterthought, considered it to be something that countries like the UK or France or America do, but not really us. That um, it leaves some of our largest institutions a little, that, that little bit more vulnerable when something like a ransomware attack
5: does slip in. Mm, the message could well have gone out to the, the dark web who do this kind of stuff that we are a bit of a happy hunting ground at the moment. I mean...
3: That's one possibility. I mean,
5: there is an operating theory
3: in relation to the HSE hack, for example. And by the way, I, I do want to distinguish what's happening with the HSE and ransomware and what you mentioned, for example, with Nova Broadband, which is... Completely a, a, different a, operation. It, it's actually a completely different thing. And th- there really isn't any indication that the two are linked, for yeah. example. And also a, a denial of service attack isn't really anywhere near as serious as what's happening with HSE. Um... But the, the, there, there is a theory that the Conti gang, the criminal gang, responsible for this ransomware on the HSE, really were just probing for vulnerabilities in any large networks. It's not that they targeted the HSE per se, it's just they put stuff out there. Well, that's what Bruce
5: Schneier, who I was mm-hmm. talking to on Monday, was saying to me. He said, these don't start as targets, they start as a search. <laughs> where they search for openings and find them.
3: mm, Yeah, logically, if you think about it, if you're a criminal gang whose main interest is extorting for money and you're a professional setup, you're really kind of going to try to go after mainly financial companies because they're the ones most likely to pay. There won't be a big hubbub about it. Their insurance companies, by the way, will cover it. That's a very under-discussed issue in this whole thing. Insurance companies um, will reimburse you a lot of the time if you pay the ransom. That's why so many companies pay the ransom. But if you end up kind of in a war of words with a national health body, they go—they can't really pay the ransom. We just can't. We can't be seen to pay a ransom. So it's not ideal if you're the criminal gang. I'd say it's, a, it's pretty unlikely they're going to get their ransom. So um, I'm not sure that they targeted us for that reason. Or that, way. that doesn't mean that what they're doing in sharing sensitive information is any less despicable Mm -hmm. Um, but they're now in a really odd situation where they've threatened to share the sensitive medical data and even if they don't get paid, they kind of now have to do that because if they don't, then the next crowd
5: that they threaten won't believe them Yes, yes, yes. Adrian, move away from the HSE for a minute and you you said that a a DDOS uh, distributed Mm. denial of service is a different animal um, yeah. But what is it? It's basically where
3: um, the the bad guys try to flood your system with an excess of, let's, let's call it traffic. So let's say you're a small internet service provider, like Nova Broadband, for example. And by the way, Nova isn't the only one. There have been quite a few around the country who've been targeted. Um, one of the larger uh, hosting providers uh, last week, Black Knight, uh, was also targeted as well and had to deal with that for at least a few hours. Um, but let's say you're a small internet service provider. What they will try to do is to get what they call a botnet, which is they try to marshal hundreds or thousands of systems online. Maybe-
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: That might be through malware that they've spread uh, before, maybe some other way. And they'll try to flood your system, let's say, let's call it your website, mm. with a massive amount of traffic
5: or requests. Mm. And there's so much that your website can't handle it. And is, is this a bit like when, when tickets, ticket sales open for a much anticipated <coughs> concert and yep. 10 minutes in the website crashes? Is, is this yeah, a bit th- like that? It, it's not a million miles
3: from it, that is one way of, of, uh, of comparing it, yes.
5: Right, right. Now, NOVA has said, look, there's no compromise of their system, no data had been accessed, it's a much different animal, and and they seem to have sorted it now. But lastly and briefly, Adrian, where where do you think the HSE thing is going? Like, they could be paralysed for weeks here. Yeah, I think there is a real problem. I think
3: the the way that they've set the system up with so many different systems, I mean, they've said that they have 2,000... Uh, patient-facing IT systems, uh, because they now have to thoroughly go through each one. I honestly think that that's kind of what the delay is going to be, and that's what's going to really bite them. It's not that it's not repelling the attack per se. It's mm. it's going through all the systems to make sure that it hasn't seeped in, and because it's such. A patchwork of systems, and because they don't really have much resources yeah. to do this kind of thing, they're bringing in outside companies. One of them actually based in Cork, um, and uh, they don't really have the resources to do it, and that's yeah. going to take a long time.
5: The Windows Seven element of it. Now I know you've mm-hmm. got they've got the up to date patches and they've got the support license and all of that, but so mm-hmm. much of our of our systems are still on Windows Seven. Is that a genuine concern or is it just how things are? Uh, oh no, it's a genuine concern. Uh, I mean.
3: It, it's not possible to say that because half the HSE's IT systems are, are running uh, Windows 7, that that exacerbates the risk from this ransomware attack. But it is possible to say that it's, generally speaking, bad IT hygiene. And um, now the HSE will say that in some instances they have to use Windows 7 machines because if you go into an operating theater and you see a big giant radiology or whatever it is, those are very big, standalone devices that stand completely apart from the internet. Maybe the German manufacturer hasn't updated them, and Windows 7 is the only machine they, that works. They're yeah, a very with
5: stable it. platform, and, and yeah. Windows 7 is it, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but
3: in general, <clears throat> absolutely. <clears throat> um, if, you <clears throat> if the other uh, machines that
5: you're using are, are, have Windows 7, that's a hygiene problem, and sooner or later, we'll bite you, yeah. Okay, Adrian, thank you very much. Adrian Weckler, he's tech editor with the Irish Independent. On this continuing story, Nova is sorted, and it was a, not a serious thing, and they dealt with it. But there's others have been hit with this DDoS. But the HSE is just a mess, and a nasty mess. And as he says him said, you can't be seen to hand over money to these people. You can't, like, but it's a financial management decision as Bruce Schneier was saying to us on Monday, "These things are financial management decisions." Jerry seems to have got his gumption back. Says this call uh, he, back on the radio, he wasn't to anywhere to be found right after Golfgate. Oh Jesus! Listen, <laughs> uh, John says, listening to Senator Buttimer, you'd swear he was in opposition. If there was more policing, there'd be more order. It's up to the government to do that. I'm not going to have a waffler paint my city like my as a no-go area. It's an old funding area and his administration is to blame. 1850 715 996. Now, we've all been taking a bit more interest in our gardens over the course of the last 14 months because for the second summer in a row, we're going to be spending an awful lot more time there. Okay, we can go around the country, but we'll probably be spending a lot more time in our gardens and a nice garden is a great thing to have and a great thing to be able to keep. But what is a tower garden? That is a whole new concept. Shannon Sullivan, good morning. Hi Peter, how are you? Good. I've never heard of a tower garden. What is it?
10: Tower garden. Well it's like um it's a kind of a modular unit. It's a single unit. Uh so works on hydroponics. This particular one actually works on what they call aeroponics. So it's like uh we'll say a tank of water right down the bottom. Right. And it pumps water up to the top, uh, and sprays the water with the nutrients down through the roots, which are in little ports uh, all along the tower. You know, um, it's it's absolutely amazing. Like I got one there at the start of March, um, thinking that yeah, sure, you know, I'll tip away at this like, but the growth is phenomenal. Like mm. you know, um, like as you said, you no, know, people have. And we can see it all on social media all through last year. Uh, people in, in lockdown mode, they're out in their gardens and patios, uh, you know, uh, getting new furniture and everything. Yeah. Uh, and people want to grow, people want to grow food, um, but
5: maybe they don't have the
10: space in their garden or yeah. they don't want to kind of dig up their lawn that they, they, they set out last year, you know. Yeah. And uh, how so,
5: big is this thing? Where, where would you put it? This is about three feet by three feet. So it's a tiny
10: ground area. Right. Uh, like it uses up 90% less ground than uh, traditional growing methods like, you know. So because you're growing up, you know, you're growing, there's 20 ports where you can grow different fruits, vegetables, leaves, uh, herbs, salads, everything. Right. So you're kind of growing up rather than out. Right. Um, super, super... Um, Versatile as well. And it's is your one inside.
5: outside or inside?
10: Mine is actually our, our garden is kind of up at the, at the first floor, first floor level. Mm. So I actually have mine in the kitchen downstairs. Okay. Um, so it's in the kitchen since March, and I have basil, chervil, uh, kohlrabi. Mm. I have cucumbers growing in my kitchen. Get away! And where uh, do you
5: get the sunlight then from? Because you need that too.
10: No, well, uh, this this you can have it outside and and use the natural sunlight, but it can you can actually get lights uh, and they're LED uh, low wattage lights, uh, and it's actual lights that uh, make the plants grow inside. Like I think that's why you know it's just the growth is just phenomenal. Like right so,
5: you have cucumbers growing in the kitchen.
10: Cucumbers, I have kohlrabi. I don't know if you've ever heard of kohlrabi. Uh, I have um, loads of different lettuces I have chard Swiss chard uh, celery and now I have coming on now and these are gorgeous uh, yellow uh, courgettes Mm, very handy of
5: course for a chef to have all this stuff grown in his own kitchen that's
10: right that's right Um, yeah definitely I mean you know just picking the basil off making some pesto or into a pasta. Yeah.
5: Super, super fresh. Like, and then super wh- fresh. what do they grow in? Do you have soil in this thing or compost or what?
10: No, 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 no. Nothing. Nothing? nothing. nothing. So you plant, you plant the seeds into uh, rock wool cubes. So it's like spun um, basalt or something. Right. Um then, you you start your seedling and you pop your seedling into the port, into a little net basket, let's we'll say, right. and in the water that's in the tank, you just put in uh, the. There's two different nutrients.
13: Right.
11: Now, the only
10: the only tricky part, literally the only tricky part, is to just make sure that you measure the pH value of it. Right. Um, but like my kids absolutely love it so as well. They're,
5: like, they're growing in water. Yeah, so the water
10: pumps from the bottom right. up to the top. And there's like a perforated plate, kind of like a shower head. Yes. And inside the the tube, the the tower, it sprays the water down through the roots. So the, the water or the roots take the nutrients from the water and the water that they need into the plant. Right. And that's why you get such uh, fantastic growth. You know, there's no there's no barrier for them to to get right.
5: the the nutrients. Like you know, where, where would someone to... go about getting one of these things, Shane?
10: Contact me on um, my Instagram or my Facebook. So uh, Shane Chef Cork is my Instagram. Shane uh, Chef Cork. Chef Cork, and you can see the growth that it has putting it together, and my seedlings, and all the way up through from, from March, start of March to where we are now. Like right? mm. I think, like like you said you know, earlier about people being in lockdown. Um, you know, everybody wants to come out of this now you know, they're more interested in food, they're more interested in growing, um, and I think this is a really good way for people to get started with it. Like, you know, okay. you could have this on a balcony and a 14-floor
5: uh, apartment block. You know, it's, it's just anywhere, you know. Hen- handy out. Shane, thank you very much. Shane O'Sullivan, uh, explaining... Compostless growing in a tower garden where everything grows in water, and he has cucumbers growing in the kitchen. And if you want to find out any more, that's his new venture Shane Chef Cork on Instagram. Shane Chef Cork. Fancy growing your own lettuce, cucumber, radishes in your own kitchen in a little three foot square garden that goes up in the kitchen. Or maybe. Maybe out the balcony or just outside in the patio. Shane, Chef, Cork for more information. 1850 715 Could I do this? Yes. Alan Flurry has been on from the Cork Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus Association. They have a golf Classic on the Friday, June 18th. Monkstown Golf Club 300 per team of three, including outdoor meal. Alan's dad is one of the first chairs of the Cork branch and Alan is running in his honour and they're looking for people they're looking for people to to take part in that. Uh, Oh, Alan, I remember Alan. Alan was uh, uh, the photographer at uh, Gareth O'Callaghan's wedding and was sitting at the same table as us that evening. Thanks Alan, I'm happy to help you with that. Well, Leslie Roy didn't make it last night I thought the staging was awful poor girl looked exhausted whatever she was trying to do it was a mess whatever happened last night during that staging of maps it was just a mess and she looked tired and she looked exhausted and she looked like she didn't know where to look actually during the whole thing but she didn't go through Uh, Johnny Bongos says hi PJ regarding the Eurovision Song Contest we should go back to the original way of picking the song picked from the people of the country we have amazing songwriters in this country. It's the same people picking the songs every year. Something has to be done. Well, I have to say, I completely agree with it, Johnny. I think we should go back to a national song contest. I don't mean showing a different song on a series of Friday nights on the Late Late Show. I mean actually having a national song contest on a Sunday night, perhaps in February, with eight songs and we vote bit like we vote for Eurovision and we get a genuine winner selected by the people and selected by juries like we did before and we might actually get something that would go out there Leslie, we asked Leslie to appear on the show a few weeks ago and she unfortunately wasn't available but uh, we wished her well yesterday and it unfortunately didn't happen for her last night Malta for the win, I'm saying I'm putting putting my head on the line here I, I really do think Malta for the win but he is hoping eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Now, if you ever drank in the UCC College Bar, no, no, not the new one, not the, not the new one in 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 the in the new in the new Student Centre, not that one. That's a fine bar in itself and a grand place and all of that, but it's not the College Bar, as those of us who drank in it knew the college bar. It only closed a year or two ago, I think 2019, the old bar closed. And it's, it's been completely repurposed now as a new place, new sort of calm space for students uh, with, with disabilities. But it was a place of just wonderful, wonderful memories going back decades and decades to way before my time. And like, I had a pint in there in the company of Arthur Scargill at one stage the miners leader from the UK and others and many of the most esteemed guests who came to UCC, for example, to speak at the Philosophical Society. Well, they be brought into the bar afterwards and they'd have a the bar. And you too are uh, leg- re- reputed to have played there. Um, the Cranberries reputed to have played there. And it was a, just a serious place to go. But it had a floor that was dirty, and manky, and sticky, and fag-stained, and boo-stained, and chipped, and cracked, and wonderful. JP Queen is head of UCC Visitor Centre. You're selling the floor. Good morning. Hi PJ,
14: how are you? I'm delighted to talk to you because I often see you uh, talk on Twitter and other areas about your own love from UCC as a graduate yeah. and I've seen you up here at the summer's evening in the Quad concerts as well too so I know you have a certain grow in your own heart for UCC so I'm and delighted to be able to talk to you about this
5: today. And, and delighted to have you. Like that that bar was, a spe- even up to its latter days, in it only closed, I think, what, the end of 2018, was a special, special place to be.
14: It was. I mean, even when I was a student there in the 90s, um, it was probably kind of heading towards the end of its peak at that stage. I mean, the brilliant thing about this, PJ, is I've had pe- thousands of people have been in touch with me for the last two days and they all claim that their period was the, the, the good old days, you know. I had somebody yesterday say the good old days of 2009 in the bar, you know. And I'm laughing, thinking about people who were there in the 1970s and the 1980s and the likes of yourself having a drink with Arthur Scargill, who was here to speak to the Philosoph. And, like, I was a recording secretary myself in the Philosoph when, mm. when I was a student. So I remember, like, being, being in the bar with the likes of David Irvine and the late Howard Marks and various other people who were very famous in politics and pop culture, and so I, I have those memories. And the story is... It's a great story. I was in there last year recording an audio documentary on Irish writers that went to UCC and a local writer, Madeleine Darcy, who was an excellent writer, who has a short story collection coming out later in the year, picked the bar as her favourite location and we recorded her talking about her time there and reading some of her fabulous work. And I saw a loose piece of the floor on the ground and I said, I'm having that. And I picked it up and put it in my pocket, <laughs> brought it over to my office, put it on the wall and the afternoon somebody said to me, what's that dirty piece of sticky... Uh, wall uh, on on the wall there I said so that's part of the old bar floorboard and he said to me could you get me one and then I had a eureka moment and I rang my brilliant colleagues in Billings and Estates and said do not throw one inch of that floor I want it all I have an idea you got it all and I got it all I have it all <sighs> I have it all no and the funny thing is PJ people are on to be gone. is there any chance you could give me the square of wood that was just to the left of the bar because that's where <laughs> I sat <laughs> because, or I have, a piece? I have a piece from Tom's room you know on ah, we
5: get on to Tom's room in a second but, but JP that was the thing about the bar like you went in there and again your time might have been different to mine you went in there and you had your spot and you would almost be bereft if you couldn't find your spot of a day it was your place and there's a great story as well.
14: I, I don't know if do you remember Mary Devon, who was who worked there for Mary. Yes, yes. God, bless Mary, her. who
5: made the chicken rolls, right? Yes. But all it, the chicken. Now those chicken rolls would shrink tumours. They were you know, the best. Me, they chick- were
14: the best chicken rolls in the city. I, uh, I absolutely. But and I tell you what, PJ. No matter if you two were playing it themselves. They weren't playing until the Coronation Street was over. Oh, no. Coronation Street was going on every night that That's Mary right. was there.
5: And, 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 and Mary, Mary would afterwards see
14: to afterwards. it. <laughs> yeah. So there was a whole generation of students that got to see Coronation Street religiously as well, two ways from there, you know. But um, it's, it's, it's fascinating where this has gone. In UCC, uh, two of our biggest pillars and principles here are inclusivity and sustainability. And in fact, we were ranked eighth in the world from the United Nations in aiding the United Nations in their sustainable development goals. And we are extremely strong in sustainability. And this is just another example of doing that, is taking something that would have been thrown out and making something renewable from it. Yeah. We grow we grow our own vegetables up here, which we use in our restaurants. We we employ our own beekeeper, Thomas Quigley, to make honey from our own bees in the North Mal distillery, and we sell our own honey. So this is just another example of how we do that, and we're going to keep doing that. Yeah. But inclusivity is equally as big. Um, I have a wonderful, beautiful niece in my family who has autism that I absolutely adore. She is the centre of my life. And knowing that places like universities are making accommodations for people who do have those difficulties and challenges makes it the best place in the world for me to work and seeing what we've done with that space and developing it into an autism friendly initiative where students can go for calm spaces low lighting or just even have their lunch I mean there's loads of students who are are on on the autism spectrum that have been eating their lunches in toilets
5: because it was the only private space that they could actually go to you know and to see like what the bar was uh, decadent and noisy and filthy and chaos organised chaos and we loved every bit of it, to a calm, relaxing space. Such it's a complete, contrast. complete juxtaposition, but
14: it just goes to show that everything in life is renewable and there's a purpose for these things. Mm. And as I say, renewability is, and, and creative thinking. I mean, our tagline here in UCC is, uh, you know, a history of independent thinking. And I, I think that this is just an, another example of this,
5: you know. And I, I'm well, very, your idea, very is, your idea is a bit of independent thinking. Now, they're, they're mounted in a frame... They are indeed, yeah. And you're selling them? We are, no.
14: To be honest, like PJ, somebody said to me, you realise you've created an 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 NFT for UCC, you know, and I'm not into this whole cryptocurrency, and all this virtual stuff. But then when I looked into it, I said, yeah, we kind of have, you know, and we've released them in batches now. The first two batches are gone, right? But there's been such a demand with people coming in. We've had thousands of emails and my my Twitter account is blowing up. How uh, many of them
5: do you have?
14: Well, I have two tonnes, of of, uh, of floorboard, but like we will see how far how far we will go with it. You know, I'm not going to put I'm not going to put two tons of it into 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 boxes. So we will wait and see. So we we'll, we we'll, we we'll continue to facilitate the demand. But PJ, like there are other things we can do too. I mean, I'd like to make coasters out of these. Could you imagine having a, a pint at home in your house? Oh. Uh, and put your pint glass down on a coaster made from the old floor oh. where you used to have your pint.
5: Oh, for goodness' sake! You'd love that, PJ, wouldn't yeah. you? We mentioned. Um Tom's room um, and yeah. Tom is probably unique Tom was a barman Tom Toomey uh, he's still around and he has phoned me once or twice over the last couple of years yeah. but Tom probably the only person to have a room named after him while he's still alive they, they in, was... in
14: our university definitely after he's <laughs> alive. when he's alive actually we have, we have no. several buildings named after people who have passed on I suppose two of the newest names uh, buildings are, are the Lucy Smith and Doris Allman room in our new student hub, which are named after the first two female medical graduates in UCC, yeah. but they are in the early 1900s. So Tom is in a very
5: special club on his own there. Tom, there. Tom yeah. was Tom Toomey, a legend behind the bar. And there was Dennis, Tony and Mary. Yeah. Are, they, are they all still with us? Mary's still with us,
14: yeah. She's still, in fact Mary's daughter got on to me yesterday looking for one of the, one of the pieces for her mother, so I I uh, I I told her I would I would start that in time, no problem. Because I remember Mary, because Mary was was there and holding court when I was a student, and she'd remember me if she met me as well too. So, mm.
5: any of the white
14: cups left?
11: <laughs> uh,
14: <laughs> I look into it for you, PJ. But I, I don't know about the white cups. But what I would like to do, PJ, if that's okay, yeah. I've I just two things I'd like to say to you. One, I'd like to visit. I'd like to invite you to UCC so that I can give you a private tour and show you the official history and the social history of UCC because I know how much you love the place. And as part of that visit, I actually have one of those frames for you myself that I'd like to give you as a
5: gift. Oh I am so thrilled, JP. That is So will stank- you send me a message, PJ? I I'll will up, I yeah. will and we'll come and up I and mean, we'll see that, that's the a place. genuine that's a genuine offer yeah. now, PJ I'd love to show I'd you. I'd love to and we'll come and see the place and, and we might even do a little feature on it because I think that's nice. That's so nice. And the, the, the re interest on Twitter was just phenomenal the last week
9: oh
14: it 's really good, and I mean, as I say, this will open up gates to all the things we 're doing, for example tomorrow 's World be there, and one of the things i 've been doing over the last twelve months is i 've written a book about the, how children can make a difference in sustainability and it's about a bee called Booley who got his name from George Boole who lives on the UCC campus and finds his way in life to making our UCC honey which we sell and that's going to be released in September Fantastic. Uh, I've, I've written it myself and it's illustrated by our own graphic designer Charles Ruxton in UCC who was just the most oh, Charlie, wonderful yeah.
8: designer you know, yeah. Charlie? I know
14: Charlie Charlie's yeah. a fabulous guy and it's been a great project to work mm-hmm. on and I have a load of all these other ideas because you can leave UCC but I don't think UCC ever really leaves you PJ and no, what I I've... want to do is connect those stories back to people. Yeah. We run a podcast as well which is called Revisit UCC in which on each episode we talk to people who work in UCC about their work and their career and that's on all that's on really? Spotify and iTunes and all other places. So I, I'd invite people to come and say hello to us in the visitor centre. We're reopened now physically after a tough period that everybody has had over the last 14 months or so. Well, well, I just did JP... the best job in the world PJ welcoming people back who have much of a love for the place that I have I really look forward to welcoming
5: you and showing you around I would be up to you as soon as is humanly possible I look forward to it and thank you so much for that gift J.P. Quinn head of the UCC Visitor Centre they're framed pieces of the floor of the bar now look if you weren't there you don't get it but so many people will get how much that means
2: Can we just talk Opinion line on
5: Cork's 96
0: FM with Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream.
2: The lines are live and we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
0: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: On Cork's 96FM.
5: Mags on Twitter says, So many happy memories of the old UCC bar. Many a skipped lecture spent in that bar. You're heading off to my part-time job later in the evening half court happy days happy happy days indeed Max Uh, the college bar was where my dad God rest him discovered that I actually drank that story would take far too long to tell but yeah and I'm so grateful to JP for gifting me one of those beautiful pieces of the old bar. And if you want to contact, just contact the visitor center at UCC and they've got a batch of them uh, coming up for sale very, very soon. 1850 715 Can I just mention, because uh, he, I mean, he heard my comments about the Eurovision Song Contest and about how I, I really do think that uh, it's it's Maltus to lose. If there's any justice in the world, there's Maltus to lose. After the fantastic performance last night, it's just everything is right about the Maltese entry this year. And uh, I had a message to say, Yeah, I agree with you, and she's got a great voice from my old friend, a man who knows an awful lot about great voices because he's got one himself, and that is Kieran Kramer. And Kieran, of course, as I've said before on the show, Kieran's had a horrible year. With illness, really horrible year with illness. He has spent uh, some time in the National Rehabilitation Centre in Dublin and is now back in Cork or on his way back to Cork and he's got some more rehab to do before he eventually gets home. But we were in contact by text over the weekend and he's getting there. It's slow, it's painful, it's been very hard for him. He had a horrible, horrible experience. But he's getting there. And uh, I just wanted to wish him well because he's got many, many thousands of fans and many, many thousands of people whose weddings he has played over the years and whose events he has played. And uh, the very, very best of luck in your continuing recovery to my dear old friend, uh, Kieran Kramer. And maybe at some point, Kieran will have a chat with me for the show about what he's been through and what it's like when you get what he got. and More about that. As we get uh, through the summer, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Martin was on about Erlingus. With regard to the Erlingus situation, is it not time the government that sold our airline now makes amends and buys it back at an optimum price? The price couldn't be better. If we had our own air, airline, we'd be a proper island nation, says Martin. And on the crime and on Jerry Buttermore's comments with regard to the Erlingus, or sorry, with it was Jerry and his party neglected the city for years. Now he's on the radio making an issue about the state of it when it comes to crime. And just on the bar, I'm so emotional listening to JP. I was working in UC for 18 years, worked everywhere, also worked in the college bar. What a memory. JP is right, he says he never leaves you. That's from Olga. No, that's never the Olga I remember working in the college bar. It couldn't be. Oh, for God's sake, Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. As I look out my window from Studio One, it's a fairly familiar sight. It was an absolute stunner of a morning. Bright sunshine, it was beautiful sunshine coming in this morning, but now it's cloudy and it's overcast and the forecast for the afternoon isn't great. Bit of watery sunshine and possibly, like the last few days, more water, then sunshine and it's cold it's unseasonably cold because we're coming up to Radiothon tomorrow and usually by Radiothon it's short sleeves, the jacket is gone, I'm sometimes even in the shorts by Radiothon but not this year, not this year, it's just not there yet and it doesn't look like it's getting there although Alan O'Reilly from Carla Weather has been I won't say making promises but giving an indication, Alan, from the models you have in front of you, that there's an improvement coming. It can't come fast enough. Good morning.
15: Good morning, PJ. Yeah, it does look like things might improve next week, Um, but as you say, it's not a promise, and and when weather models were a little bit far out yet, Mm. but it does look like high pressure might start to build in early-ish next week, into the middle of next week, and we could see some more settled and more typical temperatures um, coming next week. So, Mm. Fingers crossed that that will happen. Um, the only problem is we have an awful spell of weather to come before that. So yeah. we have a very, very, very wet and windy day coming tomorrow. Wet and windy tonight even in Cork. Um, so we have a storm going to track up from the southwest. And probably by midnight it'll be starting to arrive in, in Cork on the coast. And Cork will actually probably see some of the strongest winds, especially on the south coast. Great. But we're looking at, looking at some severe gusts of up to 110 kilometres an hour possibly. And, uh, we may
5: take the cushions off the seats in the garden again and tie the seats together again.
15: You may tie down the barbecue and bring in the garden furniture, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be a rough night and it's going to be a rough day tomorrow with, with spells of heavy rain. The, the heaviest of rain will be early in the morning, but it does look like it rain on and off pretty much most of the day tomorrow. Mm. and and friday looks a bit more like a soft day and and cool as well as you say like 10 11 12 degrees is all it's going to be
5: mm. it's um, unusually cool for the time of year
15: it is i mean it's below averages we we do we can see this kind of weather in may but it is and and the fact coming on the back of a cool april you know it it has been unseasonably cold um we 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 kind of continued on from the team of April into May with the showers, but also the, the colder temperatures. Now, we've thankfully not had too much frost lately, yeah. but it, it has been cool. And Like we you know, were
5: sunburnt on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> yeah,
15: yeah. And and the, and the warmest day in April was the 1st of April, which yeah. we hit 21 degrees in your neighbouring County Kerry there. So, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, it's, it's gone downhill, but the meteorological season of summer doesn't start till the 1st of June. Oh. And the the weather charts are looking better for that, so yeah, maybe I'm, the weather the weather season might be the one to follow
5: I go with those I go with those I, I don't I've never believed that that summer starts in may may for me is the end of spring um and and always will be but I saw the other day AccuWeather, weather they do these predictions um and and that we may have a summer to look forward to now it's almost how do they call that like
15: yeah they're looking at a load of different. I suppose, you know, variables in terms of looking at the longer range, what might happen with some of the the big weather influences. So uh, what has it caused a lot of the problems for us so far is northern blocking, which is basically high pressure to the north, which is keeping us in this cooler air and, you know, the typical kind of Spanish plume that you might hear talked about, Azores High, they they haven't got a chance at the moment because they've been blocked out, basically. So, it does look like that's going to ease off and that's what's going to allow the high pressure to build up from the south. Now, if you look at the monthly forecast, they're they're kind of saying that that might become more of a trend that we could see some higher pressure coming from the south, which would give us a better chance at some proper heat and also some drier weather. But, To be honest with you, PJ, anything beyond 10 days is still very much subject to change. Like, even at the moment, the weather models for next week are in fairly good agreement that we'll see high pressure. But where exactly that high pressure sets up, you know, could be the difference between seeing maybe 14 and 15 degrees or 19 and 20 degrees, which obviously will have a big impact on whether you're getting the shorts out or not.
5: Yeah, yeah no it's 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 dull and dreary for the times of year, but looking looking like a bit of an improvement after the weekend but we we have some purgatory to go before that.
15: Yeah, once, once we can get over the next, probably, I suppose, four days, it does look like it's going to improve. So I think we all need a bit of hope at the moment. That's why I've been tweeting out the weather chart, showing, showing the high pressure, trying to say, stay in there, stay with it, because it's not going to be nice for the next couple of days. But hopefully, if we can get through the weekend and into next week, things will start to improve.
5: All right, listen, thank you very much, as always. Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather, and he does tweet uh, quite a lot. Carlo Weather, you'll find him. People are asking me of late... Uh, do we ever chat these days with Ken Ring anymore? Uh, Ken was a great friend of the show for a number of years and made some spectacular predictions. Now, he was wrong on occasions. Uh, Ken Ring from New Zealand, he correctly predicted the big freeze of 2009 into 10 months out. He correctly predicted in January of 2013, the Mediterranean summer of that year, he correctly predicted uh, this with a beautiful September in 2014. He called that in April. Um, Ken, he strikes and he doesn't. We have a lot of, had a lot of fun with Ken over the years. Unfortunately, Ken doesn't broadcast anymore. Um, Ken had a stroke. He spoke to me about it on the, on the air. Ken had a stroke which affected his speech and I did do a quick interview with him a number of years ago, uh, maybe maybe it was 2017, 2018, and his speech was affected. He's still working. He's still forecasting. And I'll see what he's saying. I'll try and get it together and see what he's saying uh, for the summer of 2021. But he doesn't do a whole pile of broadcasting anymore, if any at all, which is sad because he was always fun. And people used to give out about him and people used to call him this and that and the other and bluffer and whatever. But... Ken Ring was a fun guy to have on making weather forecasts uh, on Cork's 96 FM so I'll, I'll, I might even send him an email and see how he's doing because a lot of people were asking me recently do you ever have that fella from New Zealand on anymore? he hasn't been well so we'll find out how he is 1850 715
2: Can we just talk the opinion Line on Cork's
5: 96FM.
0: With Dairymaid Premium Spread, 100% Natural, and Made in Cork, using West Cork Cream.
5: It was right at the height of the pandemic, so kind of
3: getting to a doctor, I think, it wasn't, wasn't the easiest thing in the world. You go into, you know, the breast cancer clinic in CUH, and you walk in, you're the only guy in there other than the doctors. And they say, you know, you're going for a mammogram, and you kind of think, okay. I knew within,
5: I'd say, kind of a minute of being there, that... And there was something off.
11: Oh, I will hold on
2: to the afterglow. The Corks 96FM
5: Giving for Living Radiothon.
0: Listen Thursday from 6am. On
5: Corks 96FM. Now, on Monday, we had our latest conversation with uh, Dr. John Campbell with regard to COVID-19 and where we might be headed And uh, John was going through the situation with regard to the Indian variant. And he predicted that it is going to become a serious cause for concern. And he predicted that we pretty much need to get well ahead of ourselves in terms of vaccination so that the Indian variant doesn't do too much harm here. Let's remind ourselves again of what John was saying. The UK
13: Kent variant was more transmissible than the previous variant, therefore it outcompeted it, therefore it became the dominant variant. This Indian variant is more transmissible again, so even more transmissible than the B117 Kent UK variant. This is the concern. So it looks like this India variant will become it's likely now that this will become the predominant variant because it's, it's this is simple evolution
5: pj this is reproducing and spreading more readily than the other variants so it, w- it will outcompete compete the other variants it's very young people mostly are getting affected with new cases at the moment because of the way our vaccine program is working would you be concerned for those younger cohorts spreading the indian variant around the country
13: well i think that's exactly what's going to happen
5: John Campbell speaking to me on Monday on Monday's show. Now we now read that Professor of Public Health at UCC, Ivan Perry, is also very concerned about this Indian variant because Ivan, I believe you 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 now think that the UK should be temporarily at least added to the mandatory quarantine list to prevent it getting in here and getting hold. Good morning.
13: Hi, hi. Good, good morning. Yes, that's uh, that's that's that, uh, that, that is correct. I think the previous speaker, John Campbell, has summarised the the situation very well. I think that we should consider, even for a period of a few weeks, um, you know, mandatory um, hotel quarantine from the UK. I think we just need to be nimble in, in our response to the pandemic, because I suppose overall, we're in a good p- position now. You know, over t- 2 million people have been, been, um, been um, have. Vaccinated. It's clear that the mandatory hotel quarantine that has been been brought in is working in, and this has re- reduced the 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 number of um of new variants coming in. But of course, they are now opening up rapidly in the 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 UK, even with the the the, the Indian. Uh, on the increase, and we're exposed to that risk. So to me, it would seem very reasonable um, because it would would, would seem reasonable to bring in mandatory hotel quarantine to protect that large segment of the the population, um, younger, middle-aged, and young people who are still unvaccinated.
5: It's difficult, though, isn't it, Ivan, to impose mandatory hotel quarantining on the UK because of the amount of constant movement for work and for trade and for supply?
13: Oh yeah, of course it's very, very difficult and, and not under underestimating that but I think that if, if we brought it in it would very drastically reduce the, the flow of traffic from the UK and it may be just for, for for three to, 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 to four weeks, it would may well be, be, be the case then that we, we feel that the risk from this variant isn't as, as high as we, mm-hmm. we, we, we had, had thought. But um, th- I suppose what we, we, we've been doing up to now is we've been waiting for bad things to happen and then reacting. Re- 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 because we saw how quickly the situation changed with the Kenton um, uh, dis- variant. Just before Christmas, and um, you know we're, we could still have quite a nasty surge of of in, in infection over the next few months that would that would wreck our summer and, and of course cause untold um, suffering to, to the people affected. Whereas uh, maybe nimble action in the short term might prevent a lot of grief, including economic loss in the medium term.
5: Looking at the the cohorts of people being infected now, and I know that with the HSE cyber crisis, the the information is more busy than it was, but the last set of full figures that we had, the median age of infection was only about 27 or 28, which means it's very young people. Do you think, Ivan, there's a case to be made for looking again at the vaccine programme and starting urgently to vaccinate from the Early twenties upwards to meet the fifties and forties coming down. Is there a case to be made for that?
13: Yeah, um, I, I can see. I, I I can see where that argument is c- c- coming from, and you know, I think a, a case c- could be be made made for that. But but I think that, that um, it's probably. I suppose we're, we're now so locked into to the 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 the, the age, uh, and. Um, I just think that I could see that a case could be made for it, but it would be difficult to implement in in um, in practice. And I suppose overall on on balance, I would say you know we're we're now down to the to the mid forties, and we should just press on with as much uh, to dispatch as we can. But what, what I think we should do is is hold a certain amount of our vaccine supply for um, this this this. Correctionary c- c- dis- c- c- cur- use by our local public health medicine d- 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 p- departments, so, so that they that they could could at- vaccinate specific high yes. risk groups.
5: I see, I see. we I I first spoke to you, Professor, about a year ago, um, and. You know, you, you were concerned that the pandemic would, would get out of control again. And indeed, you were right. And many like you were right. Where do you think we are now in a broader scale? Obviously, we're concerned about the Indian variant, but yeah. where are we on a broader level in terms of the pandemic being under control and eventually ending in this country?
13: I think I think we're on, on, on a, a broader level we're in a much better place, thankfully, than we were. It's clear that the vaccines are working, and are effective at a level that that, that really exceeded our expectations when they when they came in. Um, so I think that if we if, if we if we can hold our nerve for the next month or two, uh, 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 and not maybe open up too quickly, and, and and obviously look at the the issue of the the um, traffic from the UK I, I feel that we will be in a in a good place in in August and s- s- September. Mm. Obviously, the global situation remains very very uh, challenging with India and, and, and yes. South America, and we're a, a long way from being back to normal international travel. I think I think I think everybody accepts that, and of course, even next winter there'll be a level of care and vigilance required because there'll be significant segments of the population who are still unvaccinated for yeah. different, different and reasons.
5: Will, will we need booster doses, do you think?
13: We will, I'd say, yeah. I, I, and I think that that will be, become become clearer, I suppose, in time as to how long the level of immunity, say, from the two shots of the, yeah. the vaccine or one shot, it'll become clearer in a matter of months how long that level of in, in, in immunity remains protective. But, but most of the... Um, The the people who are are experts in vaccines seem to expect that we will need booster uh, vaccination, possibly every winter.
5: Yeah, for for the foreseeable. And and lastly, again, just to reiterate your initial point, uh, Professor Ivan Perry, you think that for a short period of time, we should seriously consider non-essential travel from the UK going into quarantine or indeed not happening at all?
6: Yeah,
8: yes.
5: Okay. Leave it there for now. Thank you very much Professor Ivan Perry, Professor of Public Health at uh, UCC. Whether that'll ever happen, I don't think it will. But when someone of the caliber of Professor Ivan Ke- uh, Ivan Perry is warning you that perhaps you should look at quarantining, hotel quarantining people coming from the UK for a period of a couple of weeks, I think it should take him very very seriously. It has worked They've caught a shed load of cases. They've caught a lot of worrying variants in hotel quarantine. So it has worked. It is working. India is on the quarantine list now, but the UK isn't. And they're talking about opening travel back and forth with the UK. And he's warning either don't do that or put people into quarantine, maybe just for a month, just to make sure that they get this this Indian variant doesn't get out of control. Now, there's also some news this morning. This isn't confirmed yet, but it's very strongly rumoured that uh, Pfizer is looking at one of its plants in Ireland to convert it or prepare it or develop it for manufacturing the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. This is according to the online publisher, The Currency, that says Pfizer's had a team here working on the plan for quite some time. Uh, That it would develop a plant to supply vaccines, obviously not just to the Irish market, but to Europe. Uh, that We don't know whether that's going to happen or not, uh, but it looks as if they're thinking about it. And again, to harp back to it, in my very first interview with John Campbell, and we've done three or four now, uh, John recommended, he said, look, you guys have got such a big pharmaceutical industry in Ireland, you should be manufacturing your own vaccines.
13: 1850 Can we just talk?
5: The Opinion
2: Line on Cork's 96FM.
0: With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Yeah, Mags
5: has gone to Ken Ring's Twitter, um, and he does tweet, and he has a tweet with regard to Ireland that was released in... March, 12th of March, where he said, Haymaking is best from the 21st of March to the 4th of April. April is driest and sunniest, except for three wet days. Well, he was a bit off the mark there, Mags. May, June and July and first half of August all wet. Mid-August and then second half of August, warmest and driest. That's what Ken Ring was predicting on Twitter for Ireland back in the earlier part of the year. Now, he, still, he brought his book out. And I know that the sailing fraternity, and I have spoken to them about him, they take him very seriously in uh, regard to wind conditions for, for sailing. So we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. I might send him an email and see how he is. 1850 Books like The Glorious Heresies and The Blood Miracles have been massive hits for Lisa McInerney. And if you write, if you read them, you'll think that she was born and bred within the smell of the lea. But Lisa, you're a Galwegian, so how do you write so well about stuff in Cork? Good morning to you.
12: How are you? How are you? I'm, I'm very glad you said that. Actually, that that's made my day. You know, so it has. I spent a lot of time in Cork. I've I've been going up and down all my life. I've cousins, blowing Carry, and then. I went to UCC and then I married a Cork man. They worked for years and years in Cork. So, in fairness now, I'm probably actually a nice hybrid of the two counties. I yeah. hope, anyway.
5: Well, you certainly picked up the accent, anyway. No, don't...
12: <laughs> I don't know. It's it's half Cork, half Galway. I, I'm told by a few people they thought it was from Limerick. So, <laughs> your
5: your new book is called The Rules of Revelation. Um, it's it, they they are a kind of a trilogy, aren't they?
12: Yeah, I I I think they are. I think they're kind of a, a loose set or I think the fancy word if you're if you're going to get very literary is there a cycle, you know, a cycle yeah. of books. So, I mean they do follow the same bunch of characters and uh, kind of different angles on them in different parts of their lives. I hope you can read them independently of each other and you don't have to read them in order and you can enjoy them in that way hmm. but they are they, they're like the Marvel expanded universe we'll so put it
5: that way <laughs> Oh, A lot of these characters are broken and damaged and dysfunctional hmm. people and the storylines are about very dysfunctional lives but the books are very funny
12: Yeah I think that's that's a very Irish thing, though, isn't it? I mean, like, I mean, when you think about recent Irish history, we've it's been characterised by a lot of struggle. It's been characterised by oppression. It's been characterised by all of these maybe kind of religious fundamentalisms, some people would say. But like the Irish people in general, we're we're very funny. We enjoy black humour. We enjoy a good kind of joke, even you know the giggle at the funeral, that kind of thing. I mean, if you're writing Irish characters and you're enjoying Irish vernacular, Irish slang, the way that we talk to one another, it is deeply humorous, you know? So it's an easy thing, I think, really to get in. I think it was a vital thing, actually, because otherwise these kinds of themes can be
5: overwhelming. Well, I mean, dark humor comes out of dark times and dark storylines, so it's it's, it's realistic. The same characters, like I said, are back. Karine is back, Ryan is back, but he's moved on a bit now.
12: Yeah, so, uh, Ryan is the heart of, of, I think, all three books, but, uh, we left him at the end of the Blood Miracles. He's kind of left Ireland. He's gone off and done the emigrant thing. So he's coming back now, and I suppose that's a fairly common story, the emigrant just coming back, and how is this going to affect people. The issue with Ryan is, of course, he was never the best citizen. He was never kind of Cork's favourite son, really, so he has returned and kind of started looking for well, you know, I want to move into legitimate life. I want to. I don't want to be a drug dealer anymore because that's what he used to be. I want to be a musician. But then, other characters are asking, should he be allowed? To what extent can he be forgiven? So it's an exciting thing to play with. I think
5: mm. it's writing books in is is such. An important service to, to the arts. And, and you're very careful about what you write, I think, Lisa. Your, 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 mm-hmm. your characters are, are tr- as true in the third book as they were in the first. You describe and you carve them very carefully. So we're introduced to them. We almost know them. We could almost put faces on them.
12: Yeah, I mean I, I love that. I've I actually had a couple of people saying that they're they're pretty sure they can spot them around Cork City on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> I am like, well don't follow them down any dark alleys anywhere.
5: <laughs> well what's important is we're gonna put faces on them soon because I T V uh, are interested in a television show.
12: Yeah, so I've been I've been adapting this for the television with the with the hopes that it will eventually come to fruition. I mean COVID really knocked it back in yeah. terms of the project and things had to be reimagined and it's been a bit of a pain that way but yeah um, I mean with some trepidation because it's great to kind of put it down in a screenplay and kind of approach it from a different angle and all of that kind of fun that feels very self-indulgent as a writer but I know myself no matter who you get you know to play these roles I'll be be thinking well you know that guy's nose is slightly bigger in in my book I think (laughs) and people who read the
5: books and and (laughs) like they formed their opinion based on your description like, mm. you, they've got to get them right for television.
12: Yeah, I think so. But then at the same time, you need to leave a bit of room for an actor to bring their own interpretation of the role and stuff. And, and they are two very different mediums, you know. So I think I think we can't get too kind of, yeah. we don't want to adhere too closely to the book. Because it won't work then on the screen if that was the case, you
5: know. Yeah, so when is that likely to happen or is it, a, is it a very much a future project?
12: Oh, it's a very much a future project for the time being. It, t- it looked like it was coming together very nicely last year. And then, of course, lockdown could going to put us all on the back foot again. So, oh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I mean, this is the thing with television. It happens very slowly until it happens very quickly. So, I don't know, light us some candles. and we'll see what happens.
5: Exciting times for a writer, though.
12: Oh, stop. It is. It is. It is. Absolutely.
5: All right. Well, Lisa, congratulations on the latest, The Rules of Revelation, third in the cycle. Uh, by Lisa McInerney. Thank you, Lisa. The Glorious Heresies was the first one and The uh, Blood Miracles was the second. The Rules of Revelation, the third. Would you have to have read the first two to enjoy the third? Yeah. You can pick it up and you can fall into it and she recaps the characters for you very well. So well, you don't even know she's doing it. But... To really know what they're like and to get into their DNA as characters, it might be worth picking up *The Glorious Heresies* first. Great writer, though, and you will enjoy those books. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Gavin Riley has just tweeted: Leo Varadkar has offered more guidance on the future of outdoor hospitality uh, when it returns on June seventh. Table service only there's no two hour limit people were concerned about that would there be a two no there will be no two hour limit there will be no cap of 15, 15 customers is that for the premises so I'm assuming if you have a big place like a car park that you've converted into an open air uh, space that you won't be capped at 15 customers which is the only right and there will be no requirement for a nine euro meal none uh, and Board Fallshire will issue a set of new guidelines soon. So June the 7th, outdoor hospitality, no to our limit, table service only, which we kind of expected. We're a long way, we're a long way from walking into the pub, sitting up on the stool at the end of the counter, calling a pint and sitting there with the paper, keeping one eye on the television and the other eye on what's going on. There. We're a long way away from that. But we're we're at the start of the road. Something odd happened in the doll last night, and it kind of went under the radar a small bit. They were on about in the cabinet this new provision for investment buying, and you won't be able to buy any more than a number of houses, and there'll be ten percent stamp duty, and all the details of that. They're in the news bulletins and they're in the newspapers today. That's not what I'm talking about. But there was a Sinn Fein motion on affordable housing before the doll last night. Uh, O'No oh Brin brought it up calling for affordable housing to be delivered uh, properly delivered with a maximum cost in Dublin of 230 thousand per house as opposed to the 450 that's in the government's plan, and then it would be less outside the, the capital and if you rented, your monthly rental would only be about seven hundred to 900 and they wanted massive spending of money and massive investment and owner Bryn was on the programme with me only last week so we kind of, regular listeners will know what it is that he wants to do were he to be housing minister in the morning. That's all a by the by but the, the, the vote the vote happened then, as votes do. I
9: fully saw. commend this motion to the House. The question is that the amendment be made. In our haven,
5: you know, so, what's happening the right there what's happening there, that sounds like Angus, like, I could be wrong on that, but it does. What's happening there is that the government when uh, someone brings forward a motion like Ronald Bryn did, the government then counters the motion. So it rewrites it for its own benefit, as it were, and forces a vote on the amended motion, the counter motion. That didn't happen last night. So um, Angus was looking out into the open going, what's happening? Is there, Are you going to vote on your own? Are you going to have your own? They didn't. As a result of which, the main motion as brought forward by Owner O'Brien went through the House. So that Sinn Féin motion was actually passed last mm-hmm. night. Now whether anything happens as a result is anybody's guess. It's a non-binding motion. Which is possibly why they left it go through. But they didn't. They're supposed to have a counter motion for it that's just a political game so I bring a motion towards the to the house uh, making a proposal and then the government rewrites its own one and makes its own proposal and then forces a vote on its one which renders my one dead in the water but they didn't do that so owner Bryn's motion got through last night slipped onto the political radar this morning Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Uh, here's let us go to lovely Court McSherry for uh, to finish up today down to Billy Adams, the owner of the Court McSherry Hotel. I'm looking at a picture of a lovely horse Benny the Black Stallion who's become quite a superstar in that part of the world. Billy, good morning. Morning. Tell me a bit about Benny.
11: Um, well, Benny's a Frisian uh, five-year-old stallion and I, we picked him up in February and it was basically a <laughs> Maybe from a very young age. I I loved horses and I, we had a carriage. My mum had a carriage here and my father had the hotel and he used to do a lot of small weddings mm-hmm. in the hotel and my mum used to have uh, a horse called Billy and she had um, a carriage where he used to do that and pull the carriage for all the weddings and confirmations and communions in the hotel. Mm-hmm. And then when my father had a, an aneurysm, when I was 21, I took on the hotel and I always said to myself, it would be great to get back in to doing that again. And when the hotel w- was uh, closed up through COVID,
5: mm.
11: it gave me time to search for um, this, this lovely horse.
5: Yeah. Where did you get him from?
11: Well, basically, my Ellen's, my wife's family, are Dunegan Ryan event team, which are in Bandon, and Trish and Mike Ryan, they ride for the Olympics. And I I said to them, listen, I'd love to have a beautiful horse to do pulling a carriage for weddings. Mm. So they actually found it for me, for him, uh, Benny, for me. Um, um, But as soon as I went to see him, it was like love at first sight. I was like... perfect.
5: He's a lovely lovely looking lad. He really is a a lovely looking horse. And and there's a lovely picture of you here of him um, going for a run in the sea with him. I think he's kind of in your sanity while things were all closed down.
11: Well, basically, he was, uh, the person who owned him actually had a triple bypass and he was basically doing all carriage work and in-hand training with him but he couldn't ride him because of what what was with him. And then he just, he he said that he wanted to find a lovely home for him. And he came down to Cork Mac and he said, this is perfect as we're straight on the beach and we have the woodlands behind us. And Benny is part of our family, you know, he's he's... Fantastic, and my my, parent, my parents and my wife were very worried that he was a stallion when I arrived at the yard with him, and they were like, "What are you after doing, getting a stallion?" Hmm. And I think the the village kind of knew then it was a stallion as well. And hmm. I we have to kind of make a new area for him, but he's actually very, very, very good hmm. as a stallion. Sounds, yeah. you know.
5: Now, when will he be able to pull the, the carriage for brides and grooms? for weddings well, when do you think well, you'll be able to get them going again
11: well basically we've, I've been riding him nearly every morning and uh, evenings I put him on the carriage then after when I've ridden him and he's been up and down the village a good few times I brought my mum up the village for Mother's Day um, and back down and then I brought my wife and we. the kids were on him and he's fantastic. He knows how to turn. He knows how to stop. Mm. So I'll just, uh, I'm just basically finding up more insurance purposes for him and all yeah. that. When and when will then, you
5: be able to have weddings and actually use him for the weddings?
11: Well, we we have weddings booked for this year, small little weddings, and I might just take him out and just see how they feel with them and ask the bride and groom would they like. Uh, but I'd say I'm going to leave it properly until 2022 mm. to do it more more professionally with them. Uh, yeah. You know it's 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 brilliant in Cottmac because Cottmacshire is only one street, yes. so we have a church at the very top where we can collect them and then bring them straight down through the village. And um, we can stop in a pub on the way, and they can have a little drink, and then yeah. come back down and in, into the hotel for the
5: reception. You know, it's,
11: it's, mm. that's you, my plan.
5: Are you, are you anxious for opening up again on the second, Billy?
11: We are, we are, we're we're really now. Uh, it's been a tough one because I, I renovated the hotel before the first lockdown yeah. and then I spent time doing up the hotel at, on that first lockdown and then but this time I just said to myself I'm going to give my family and myself a bit of a break and that's when I got Benny and I've, I've learned now you know it's not all about work 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 all the time yeah, that's the a bit of bit of freedom with this and he passed he got me through this you know
5: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and and hopefully busy times ahead when when you open up uh, it's been a long hard time i mean court mac itself must have been deathly quiet over the last few months
11: yes yes. in the last couple of weekends now it's been picking up but uh, we the caravan park has opened up now as well, Great. so you know it's a which is glad to see that people from the city can get out and you know a bit of freedom in Cork You know you have lovely walks on the Seven Heads walks yeah. as I as I take Benny up. You sort the of picture there with the bluebells and everything. Yeah, Fantastic, it's lovely. At this time. It's lovely.
5: All right, um, well, good, good luck to you, um, Billy, and hopefully we we'll see you in the hotel across the summer. Take a, a summer or Sunday Sunday trip down. To, to lovely Court Mac. I've not been there for a while And it's a gorgeous part of the world And the hotel is fab And Billy Or Benny Benny the horse Is, is gorgeous And that's what you're facing If you're getting married In Court Mac In 2022 A carriage pulled Be a horse Straight out Of the fairy tales That's it for today And tomorrow and Friday We go into full Radio sound mode If you have a story You'd like to tell us Or an event you'd like to tell us about. Opinion at 96fm.ie will get us. Program edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow for Radiothon, just after nine.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do